Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Father God, that you open our eyes and our hearts so we can see what it is that Jesus, you are teaching us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now you may be seated again. I want to talk to you in short about Judas. Leave her alone. <laughs> Did you see that? It says, Judas, leave her alone. So who do we have here? It's interesting. We have Jesus, of course, who needs no introduction. We have Lazarus, the man who Jesus brought back to life, if you remember. So he had already risen. He had already raised him from the dead at this point. Um, then we have his two sisters, Mary and Martha. They are very grateful that Jesus brought their brother back to life. And then, of course, you have Judas, the one who was going to betray Jesus in six days from then. After which he will go and commit suicide. On the one hand, you have family, Mary and Martha, also Lazarus. And then on the other hand, you have Judas, who does not recognize the value of Jesus. And here is the crux of the matter. So I want us to look at this event from Jesus' perspective and what we can draw from Jesus', I guess, assessment of Judas. And the first is, Judas, leave her alone. You will not always have me. Leave her alone. You will not always have me. So as you can see, they were sitting around. This sister, Mary, she takes what is very, very expensive, equal to, I believe, a year's worth of salary. She breaks it open, and she starts wiping and washing Jesus' feet with this scent that was so extremely valuable. La uh, uh, Judas... Of course, because he was a thief, like almost every single politician you know who wants to help the poor. He says, hey, why are you spending so much, such value on washing Jesus' feet? Why don't you rather take that, sell it, and give the money to the poor? There are a lot more noble things we can do than put something valuable towards Jesus. Especially when it comes to washing his feet. Are you serious? You're going to spend that much money on washing Jesus' feet while there are poor, hungry little people out there? Jesus must have said, Judas, you have walked with me. You've listened to me. You've seen me minister to the poor and to the lost. However, you are blind about who I am. You have no idea the value of the Messiah. To know me is infinitely valuable, Judas. Why do you value other things? You are deceived, Judas, because riches have taken your heart captive. As long as you are deceived by money, you will not know why I matter to you. You will not know how much I matter. You will not know the value of me, Jesus, Judas. 
Judas, you find security in money, not in me. Judas, you're looking for a future in money rather than in me. Judas, you trust money to provide for you instead of trusting me. You have faith in money instead of faith in me. Mary has seen me and valued me. That is why she reached for the most lavish thing she could find in order to express that which is inexpressible to her. Her gratitude because Jesus just raised her brother from the dead. For Judas, it wasn't enough to see Jesus in action, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to listen to Him teach, to see how Jesus ministers to the poor. It wasn't sufficient for Judas. But here's Mary. Her heart is broken with gratitude before the Christ. Leave her alone, Judas, Jesus says. Your heart is filled with covetousness. While her heart yearns for me. You can't have both. Light and darkness don't mix. Gratitude for Christ. And a heart of covetousness cannot reside in the same person. Look at how lavish Mary's display of love is to Christ. One year's worth of wages gone in a moment. Because she wanted to express her gratitude, her love, her admiration, and the value that she sees in Christ. However, look at how pretentious you are, Judas. Pretending to care for the poor. <laughs> when the truth is, you care for yourself. When a person like Lazarus is brought to life, it is really a type and an experience of the second birth, right? A type and experience of the second birth. Lazarus come forth. Jesus was showing that he was going to make the dead come alive. And the moment that happens, guess what happens? All value systems change. Everything changes. Suddenly they have this brand new set of values. That's what happened to you the day you truly got saved. Your values changed. The things you used to not value, you now value. The moment all of your values change, guess what naturally changes are all of your priorities. People now prioritize other things, things they never used to prioritize. Why? Because their values changed. The moment you, your heart opens towards the Lord, suddenly the Word of God becomes a priority to you. The work of God becomes a priority to you. The people of God becomes a priority to you. This is the first sign. You remember when you got saved, suddenly you loved people in a different way. You looked at the people of God and you were like, wow. You know it's true. Like how many of you have ever traveled around the world or you traveled to a distant place and you met somebody at the airport or, or uh, some general area and it turns out that this person whom you have never met before is in, that, in fact a Bible believer. Suddenly you're like, oh, really? Oh, hey, hey, what's your name again? You know, like, isn't that true? It's exactly what happens. Because something changed within you. You suddenly love those you know God loves. Suddenly there's common ground. Suddenly there's this, there's this oneness, this family thing. 
people you've never met before. So the moment there's a resurrection from the dead, the moment somebody's born again, brought out of death into life, out of darkness into light, there's this new love. There's this new love for the Word. There's this new love for the kingdom of God, for God Himself, and for the people of God. And because of that, priorities change. What Judas valued was not it. It was different. What he didn't value was a sign that showed you how lost he truly was. So in other words, what you and I value says absolutely everything about us. So Jesus must have said, leave her alone, Judas. You will not always have me. Number two, leave her alone, Judas. The poor you will have with you always. The poor will always be there. Poverty, ladies and gentlemen, is relative. It's relative. A couple of our church leaders working with a man the other day. He's standing there begging, just begging for a dollar. And I'm standing there looking at his Nikes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no idea. He says, well, let me see. Let me see what other church I can go to on his iPhone. Unbelievable. Poverty is relative. However, doesn't matter how, what generation we're in, there will always be the bottom end of the rung, right? There will always be the poor within that category. And they will always be with us. And there's always going to be an opportunity to care for the poor. But you don't always have me, Judas. The truth, Judas, is that you don't love the poor. And you don't love me. You love money, because in five days you will sell me for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew this. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Verse 9, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of many, or the love of money, excuse me, is a root of all kinds of evil. Is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. The love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. Watch this. They have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is why I wanted to talk with you about this subject. This is the reason for this message to you. There are many things that are attempting to deceive you. There are many things that are attempting to grab your attention. Why do you think they will spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds at the Super Bowl halftime to advertise something to you? Because they're looking to get something from you. Everybody is constantly trying to get stuff from you. But Satan wants your attention. 
If he can get your attention, he can get your heart. And so what he wants is he wants for you to be tempted. But here it says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Number two, they fall into a trap. And they fall into many foolish and harmful desires. That these things, these temptations, these traps, and these harmful desires plunge them into ruin and plunge them into destruction. Not that they didn't have a lot of money or make a lot of money, but because they have made that their focus instead of the love of God, they have plunged themselves into ruin and into destruction. And then it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, to love money doesn't seem all that evil, but it's a root. And that root produces a shoot, and that shoot produces a fruit. And that fruit is, in fact, filled with all kinds of evil. And then he says, some people, eager for money, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. They are eager for money, and that was the reason they have wandered from the faith. Other things have become more important more valuable. Just like in this example, Judas saw that spikenard, that very expensive perfume, to be more valuable and could have sold it and give it to the poor. I mean, you hear politicians talking about that all the time. Why? They want something from you. That's why. Did you know that the church outgives the government when it comes to charity? But not by a little. By much. The church way outgives the government. Because the church is less corrupt than the government. <laughs> I was thinking about the church the other day. Did you know? The church is the absent only organization that gathers around the fact that we are corrupt. While they in D.C. gather around the fact that they're noble and they have noble causes. No, no, no. We gather around here like, hey, you're depraved. Let's get together and ask God to forgive us. We really need help. Isn't this true? This is the purpose of the church. That's why we gather. Not because you're so good. It's because you're not. And we've recognized it. We've identified it. And we admit it. I'm telling you, the, the doctrine of total depravity is the most verifiable doctrine in all of human history. If you want to study human history, you couldn't believe man is good. You have to watch The View to believe man is good. <laughs> well, they're really good. No, they're not. Nobody. We're all fallen. That's why we need Christ. And to pretend that you're not is to trivialize the gift of Christ on the cross. Did he die for really good people? No, he died for the sick, he said. So what, Jesus, uh, what Judas valued showed who he truly was. It shows who he truly was. So he says, Jesus, I mean, leave her alone, Judas. <laughs> we got too many J's here. Leave her alone, Judas. The poor you'll have with you always. And Paul gives us this great example of how the love for money is, in fact, the very thing that causes you to walk away from the faith and then pierce yourself through with many sorrows and griefs. A lot of money filled with sorrows and filled with griefs. Very successful, but bleeding to death. 
because wrong priorities, loving the wrong thing. Judas, you loved yourself more than Jesus. You see, the love of money is deadly. Judas loves money, or Judas's love for money proved he didn't love Christ. Judas's love for money was proof that he was not content with Christ. Christ wasn't sufficient for him. He needed more than what Jesus had to offer him. Judas's love for money caused him to pierce himself with sorrows. His love for money paved the way to suicide. And herein lies the heart of the matter. Jesus says, if you cannot see me and my worth, you will value other things. Why do you think, let's quickly put it in perspective, why do people in the West love so many other things? Because they don't see the value of Christ. Why don't they see the value of Christ? Because they don't need to be saved from sins they don't know they have. You see, if, if, if a person understood just in what grave state they are in their sins, if they had a revelation of that, they would run to Christ. But they don't run to Christ. Why not? Because they don't recognize their state of sin. If you ask somebody, are you sinful? Not really. Pretty good. You see, they have no idea. They have no idea how sinful they are. Why don't they know how sinful they are? Because they don't know how holy God is and they do not compare themselves to a holy God, but they compare themselves to the person sitting next to them. So let's walk through that little process. Why do people, why are people so given to other things? Because they don't value Christ. Why don't they value Christ? Because they don't know how much they need Christ. Why don't they know how much they need Christ? Because they don't know how sinful they are. Why don't they know how sinful they are? Because they have yet to, be, yet to see a perfectly holy God against whom their sins will stand out. You see, if you are in a group of people who are all equally sinful and they all measure themselves by themselves, they would never think that they're actually bad. They will think that they're average. But if you take that one person and you measure them against a perfectly holy God, they'll go, oops. <laughs> so what, what we definitely need is a revelation of who God is so that we can see who we are, so that we can recognize our need. And when we do, we will run to Christ and we will value Him. And when we do, we will not value other things the way we do. But here we also have in the Bible the fact that other things is what chokes out God's Word in our life. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Period. How many of you have ever done this? I've, this happens to me a lot. As I grow in the Lord, I go, oh, why did I think that verse, that I was exempt from that verse? For instance, 
the verse that says, bad company corrupts good habits? I kid you not, I always used to read that, and I would think about who all this is true for. Let me think. <laughs> it's like, ah, uh, i gotta, I got to show this to Johnny. i got to show this to, to Frankie. i got to show this to, and I've always got this list of people I want to go show this to. Like, you got to get out of bad company, it's going to corrupt good habits. But I would never think that it's true for me, right? Until one day you go like, how did I get myself into this? Like, oh, because every sin you commit, you commit with somebody else or because of somebody else, <laughs> right? And so, um, not that you aren't guilty for it, because of you, you sinned, but it's, you can always connect it to another human being. And so, we look at a verse and we always exempt ourselves from that verse. Like, ah, that's not true about me. That's not, that's not true, you know, but... The Bible right here says in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. I think I can. No, you can't. For either he will hate one and love the other. No, 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 no. I love God. I love God too. Or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Trust me, every single person ever lived, ever born, that verse is true for them. <coughs> the word... The word the Bible uses here is devoted. That's really caught my eye. You'll, you'll, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. I'm always perplexed or puzzled, you know, at, at, and at times frightened to think how devoted we are to our employers. And this is just, you know, where the rubber hits the road, okay? This is putting feet to these thoughts. Let's make what we are talking about here real. The way people are devoted and committed to their employers and their careers in comparison to their devotion to the body of Christ, it's concerning. You see, when it comes to making money, people have time. Uh, people have urgency. Come on, let's go, 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 go. People are able to stay consistent. Don't skip a beat. Don't drop the ball. Nothing to fall through the cracks. Think about it. People wake up in the morning thinking about everything they have to take care of in order to make money. People go to work all day long to do what? To make money. People work five, six, seven days a week to do what? Make more money. People have lunch appointments to strike another financial deal. People get up, get on their knees and they pray and they ask God for what usually? Provision money now, I'm not saying that's wrong I'm just saying we have to make sure that those verses aren't true about us that we aren't piercing ourselves through with many sorrows because of the love that we have for it now I'm not saying it's you have to be faithful you have to care for people you have to care for your own household you have to go out there. You have to be successful. You have to work hard. You have to be diligent. You have to be devoted to actually make work what you're doing. I am in no means telling somebody, hey, time, time for you to retire at the age of 25. Go sit on a couch. That's not what I'm saying. You know that for sure. Because I believe people need to work. That's where you get your dignity from. Work was before the fall. God worked. Before the fall, Adam worked. 
We were saved by grace without works so that we can be His workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works. Right? And we are specifically pointing to eternal work. However, we get deceived thinking that we love God, saying that we love Jesus and value Him, when in fact our lives prove the opposite. So Judas saying that he wants to give to the poor is really a cover for covetousness. This is a problem for many people, especially politicians, as I've mentioned earlier on. You know, leave her alone, Judas. Your heart is wrong, her heart is right. She sees my value, you only see something worth selling. And of course, I am not today talking to you about giving. I'm talking to you today about don't deceive yourself to say that you love God and He is your priority and you value Him above all else if it's not true. Now, let's believe it is true. But every one of us have to evaluate ourselves. I'm talking to you about the love of God that you have. I'm talking to be a how much do you truly value Christ? Interesting, interesting that when he talks about our commitment to him, he compares it to money. Number three, leave her alone, Judas, and rather be concerned about what money proves regarding you. Money is not evil. There's no inherent evil in money. But money is a great revealer, isn't it? It revealed something about Judas that nobody else could see until money became part of it. Nobody else saw. I mean, they're the 12 disciples. Here are the disciples of Christ. Wow, they just walked in town. The disciples, one of them Judas. Nobody could see that he was, in fact, a traitor. Nobody could see what was true about him? Money revealed it. Money revealed it. We are so often concerned about how much others make and how they spend what they make. It's part of our culture now and we have to watch out for it. It has become fashionable to hate on wealthy people today. Isn't it? <laughs> Got to hate on the wealthy. That's just revealing their covetousness. The wealthy are greedy, the wealthy are covetous, the wealthy are selfish. Well, let me ask you, have you ever met, a, met some poor people in your life? Have you met poor people? Poor people are oftentimes the most greedy, the most covetous, and the most selfish. Poor people are also envious, and therefore hateful at times. And they are encouraged, they are encouraged to hate the wealthy. They are encouraged to be envious of the wealthy. They are encouraged to covet. I think poor people are, are in much bigger problems, spiritually speaking, oftentimes, than wealthy people, especially in this culture. Don't allow some politician to make you become covetous of what wealthy people have. 
What I'm saying here is that it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. The question is, what does it do to you? What is your, pov- what is your poverty doing to you? Is it drawing covetous from you? Is it making you more greedy? Money does not corrupt people. It just shows the corruption they already have. It just reveals corruption. You see, if you give $1,000 to a gambler, what's he going to do? He's going to gamble more. If you're going to give $1,000 to an alcoholic, what's he going to do? He's going to go and drink more. If you give $1,000 to an investor, what's he going to do? He's going to go invest more than he would have before you gave him that 1000 If you're going to give $1,000 to a giver, he's going to give more. Right? It doesn't change any of them. It only increases what they already are. And that's exactly what happened to Judas. He was carrying around the ministry's money. And he was helping himself. It proved that he was a thief. It just revealed him. It made more of what he already was. A traitor. Somebody who didn't value Jesus. And I have to ask myself, what is money showing about me? Is money proving that I'm a thief? Is money proving that, I, that, that is, or is the lack of money proving that I'm covetous? Is the lack of money proving that, me, that I am envious? Do you follow what I'm saying? Both what you have and what you don't have is doing something to you. And what is it doing? That is the true sign of what's going on inside deep in your heart. Because oftentimes we believe what we say. But we believe our intentions instead of our actions. That's how we judge ourselves. We judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. (laughs) We really do that. But look at what money and poverty does to you. That's who you are. This is the lesson for today that we see in Judas. Judas, money revealed who you already were. So what is it that God has warned us about? With God, the issue is not possession, but attitude toward possession or poverty. With sin, or the sin is not in having wealth, but in what it does to your priorities. What does wealth do to your priorities? Causing you to walk away from the faith? What is it doing? The sin is not having a lot, but the fact that you see it as your glory. The sin is not in having more, but in being content with what you already have. Can you be content with where you are? The sin is not having wealth, but in what you do with it. The sin is not the amount but it's the attitude you have towards your wealth. You see, Abraham was wealthy. God's not against people being wealthy. Abraham was wealthy and God made him wealthy. Job was the wealthiest and God made him wealthy. Solomon was the wealthiest king ever and God made him wealthy. In the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. The sin is not about how much you have, but who you become because of what you have. That's the sin. If somebody lusts, do they know that they are lusting? 
what would you say? If somebody lusts, do they know they lust? Yeah, they do. When somebody commits adultery, do they know they are committing adultery? Yes. They can see and identify their own sin. However, when it comes to greed, nobody believes that they are. Very, very few people have the ability to actually identify this sin within themselves. And as a pastor, I have heard many confessions of sin. Jacques, I lied. Jacques, I stole. Jacques, I fell into this sin. I fell into that sin. But actually, I've never actually heard anybody confess their sin of greed. Have you ever had, you've heard people confess to you? Have you ever had anybody come and tell you that, you know what, I've got to, I've got to repent from the sin of greed? <laughs> no, because nobody actually believes that they are. I've seen people run to the altar and weep over their sexual immorality a lot, but never seen somebody run to the altar over their sin of greed. People have run to the altar weeping because they've abused somebody else, but I've never seen anybody weep after discovering that they are in fact materialistic. You see, greed is the thing that stops you from growing in the spirit. Greed is a very hard thing to see within yourself. And if you're listening to this, you are thinking, well, this is not one of my problems. And if that's what you're saying, a red flag should go up. A red flag should go up. I want to finish off today by reading to you the importance, folks, of living before God. Living before God. Here's why this is important for me today. Because I don't want us ever here at Christ Nation to become Sunday-based people. Right? Sunday Christians. Right? That's what I'm trying to fight against. Because Monday through Saturday, we're generally out there making hay while the sun shines. And I, I condone you for it. Good job. We all have to go out there and be productive, right? That's a wonderful thing. Be faithful. Be the person in the office that the boss would have sleepless nights if he knows you got a better, better offer elsewhere. <laughs> be that person, right? However, in all that we do, we have to glorify God. We have to make Him our priority. We have to make Him first. He has to be our first love. We have to value Him more, much more than anything else. And when we do, we find we are living towards eternity in everything that we do. You might, you might, be, you know, you might be a truck driver. It doesn't matter. You might be a doctor. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is you do pales in comparison to the value of what you do for Him. In Matthew 12, 28 through 31, it says this, Jesus speaking. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that He answered them well, asked Him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, let me just stop there. Tina and I went to an event yesterday. And how many of you remember Reinhard Bonnke? Reinhard Bonnke had, he's now passed away a couple of years, but uh, he traveled from top to bottom around, around the whole of Africa, and he had massive crusades of up to three million people at a time where you, couldn't, you can't see no matter which direction you look and you can't see the end of a crowd. And I almost said you can see the curvature of, forget it. <laughs> but when I look at that, and we went to the meeting where the ministry is still continuing, Christ for the Nation is still continuing. And I was thinking about why it is, it seems just that people in poorer areas of the world are quicker to have open hearts towards the Lord. Look, if you're going to go evangelize, are you going to lead more people to the Lord in a poor nation in Haiti? Or are you going to lead more people to the Lord in Switzerland? Which one? Haiti. Greater need, right? Greater urgency. They don't really have anything. When you come to the West, people have a lot of stuff. A lot of things. They connect value to a lot of stuff. And it closes their heart up toward God. But when they have no things, their hearts open up toward God. So watch this again, Matthew 12, 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. But that's not possible if you're loving everything else. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our hearts be open toward you. God, today we are called away from things and we call toward you. Judas was so connected to the value of things because he was a thief, he was greedy. His heart was not pointing toward Christ, but pointing toward stuff. He saw Jesus as something to be sold. Oh Lord, help us that our hearts be pure. We live in the most prosperous generation in the history of humanity. We live in the West where there have never been this many distractions. We have never had so much stuff. We've never had so much opportunity. And Lord, it is our culture that we chase after more, that we chase after things, not knowing that we are being deceived. We are, in fact, 
piercing ourselves through with sorrows. And God, that we will loose, hold things loosely, but that we will hold to you tightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word?